Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. So today on Learning Unboxed, we are super excited because once again, we get to go back outside. For all of our listeners, you know how much I enjoy the conversations about the amazing teaching, learning, and future work opportunities that are involved with outdoor education. And so today we actually have a special treat because we are going to be talking with two wonderful folks from the Groundwork USA, a program we're going to dig into, but one that we heard about previously uh, when we were talking with folks from Yellowstone National Park. And so this is a great follow-up interview with a partner that's involved in a lot of different things and a lot of different places uh, tied to outdoor education. And so joining us today, we have Kurt Collier. And Kurt is the National Youth Program Director for Groundwork USA. And the short version of what Groundwork USA is, uh, you know, uh, developing programs to engage urban youth of color in conservation training programs. And they do a lot of things, actually. And so we will um, get get Kurt uh, to share uh, some of that with us in a moment. So Kurt, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And joining Kurt today, I suspect, is one of those great triumphant stories. In reading all, all the back pieces, uh, joining Kurt um, is Lucy Crespo. And what's wonderful about Lucy and Lucy's backstory, and we will be uh, digging in um, with that, is that Lucy um, was a very early participant, it sounded like, in Groundwork USA. She uh, was originally from Argentina, came to the U.S. as part of uh, DACA. Uh, found herself involved with Groundwork um, in 2014. And today, she's actually um, part of the program team. So those are the stories we always like to hear. So um, Lucy, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. So I want to uh, to, to start, uh, Kurt, with you. Um, so give our listeners who come from all over the world oh, just, you know, the 100,000-foot view, if you will, about what exactly Groundwork USA is, sort of from that mission and vision standpoint, and then we'll dig into the details of the way the program works. Yeah, Groundwork was created through a unique partnership between the National Park Service and the EPA. Essentially, on the standing on one foot, Groundwork's goal is to raise the capacity of communities to deal with their own post-industrial environmental challenges. So rather than doing the work for communities, we work with communities to raise their capacity, build their networks, provide them with training, and then show them through the support of best practices in, in 23 cities across the United States that we operate in, how to, uh, how to tackle these huge environmental challenges through your community network. And I, as the youth program director, uh, my goal is to prepare that next generation that lives there in that location to do this work. Uh, these are dense urban areas, uh, usually diverse areas. And so it's introducing youth to conservation, conservation science, all these related fields 
And these are subjects that typically are not on their radar at all. Yeah. And, you know, the work that that PAST has done with a, a lot of different urban programs, it's not uncommon for us to find that students who have lived their entire lives in urban areas haven't necessarily thought about um, some of the environmental um, components in and around them. And many haven't had the opportunity for a variety of reasons to get outside of the traditional city or urban setting and to experience the environment, the woods, the parks, the take take your pick, right? And so, Lucy, how did you originally get involved? And I guess the question I'm really trying to ask you is, what, what drew you to this program, you know, at the time in, in 2014? How, how old were you when you engaged in this and, and what got you there? So I originally... The only exposure I honestly had growing up was going camping with my family. The only reason I even went to a national park was the first time was because I joined Groundwork. I actually found it by accident. I was volunteering at a a community event that we always have, the Tour de Elizabeth. Uh, And I actually went to um, typical by plants, bumped into uh, some of our directors for Groundwork Elizabeth they offered me to get interviewed to volunteer. So that was my hook. I actually got hired the first day I went to the interview. (laughs) And two months later, I was offered the the unique opportunity to go to Yellowstone National Park with Kurt. So uh, there we met Kurt and I was amazed. Mm -hmm. I honestly... Just being in Yellowstone, doing the conservation work that we uh, that we did, meeting the people that I did, and I realized that there were people like me with similar interests as me. Although conservation wasn't my first option, I uh, at the time wanted to study veterinary medicine. Mm-hmm. Later, I realized that I liked environmental science a lot more, and working with the people that we have in Yellowstone and and many other national parks throughout the years, I ended up uh, returning to Yellowstone, not only for another time, I think Kurt another three or four times. Um, (laughs) I couldn't get enough, honestly. Um, And then in 2016, I joined an internship, which taught me more about research and, and all the opportunities that I can teach my youth coming back home. Um, I was appointed the youth leader, which gave me even more opportunities to uh, to bring youth uh, my age and even younger um, to national parks to kind of experience the same thing and kind of um, and open their eyes to the opportunities that that lie ahead. Opportunities that in urban communities we never talk about, aren't exposed to, and it doesn't even seem like it is an option for us mm-hmm. um, until I was exposed to Groundwork Elizabeth and, and Groundwork USA. So, and and I hear that very thing frequently from students who've gone through um, some of our own, you know, environmental outdoor education programs. Oh, I never even thought this was possible. And yeah. you know, we, we collectively <laughs> have lots and lots of conversations about the fact that, you know, you can't, uh, you 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 can't be what you can't see, and I I add to that. I say you also can't do what you don't know, right? Because you have to be exposed to the potential possibilities and 
to feel really comfortable in the potential that, hey, I could in fact do this thing. I need to be surrounded by mentors, leaders, trainers who look and feel or have similar experiences um, with me. And so it's, it's not that I think that anybody debates those things. I think folks get them, but I would argue that oftentimes, even if we can ad- understand and admit those things, we don't necessarily always, the folks doing programs, understand how to get there, right? And that's one of the things, Kurt, that I really love about this program is you've the, the program itself has made a very concerted effort to bring together students with similar backgrounds and experiences. So one of the ones that I, you know, I know that Lucy participated in was, you know, an all Latina group. Uh, uh, What an amazing opportunity, but that's not the only one, right? So you've been very deliberate, Kurt, in the way you've constructed or architected these programs. So talk to us a little bit about sort of the philosophy that you utilize to pull some of these programs together and give us a couple of examples, because quite frankly, they're wonderful. Well, we have spent many, many, many years thinking about our logic model for how we engage urban youth. And I think anyone who's involved in this should not do it willy-nilly. I think you really should plan, be planful about how you engage youth because a bad internship is more likely to turn youth off the environment than anything else. So you could actually do damage uh, to the future of conservation with that young person by setting up kind of the wrong work environments. You know, we... Many of our, almost all of our youth are urban. Uh, they're in places where they're told not to sit on the soil that is contaminated, which it is, not to you know swim in the river, you'll get a third eye. All these things about nature, the, the messages that they consistently get, you have to kind of first understand that, you, that our ideas and our understanding and appreciation for nature is formulated fairly early. I mean, as early as day five, we start kind of making a, a very... A, a big state of formation in our mind about what nature is and how to interact with it. So part of that is to understand that we need to kind of go back and reconnect youth with nature in ways perhaps that they never even had before or uh, even have an appreciation for. And so part of that is to start young and we have many in-school and after-school programs. Groundwork does and kind of just expose youth, perhaps their first exposure uh, to it. We have multiple points of entry. Um, Lucy mentioned that she started in a big bike rally that they have in, in Elizabeth, New Jersey, or we may do urban agriculture, or it may be a summer job. And then once they're in, is to follow the same youth for as many years as you possibly can. I've known Lucy, what, eight years? I was trying to think. <laughs> eight years. Yeah, yep. quite a long time. And uh, she represents just the, the intelligence of the urban youth of thinking about how communities work. So we think of them not as something we're just educating, but as resources to understanding how the work that we're doing needs to happen. Mm -hmm. And so it's multiple years of engagement, multiple points of entry. We also need to close that STEM gap because many of our youth are community schools that are underfunded in science programs. uh, And therefore, when they get to college or finally get there, they take biochemistry, they take calculus, and it just basically eats their lunch. Right, right. And many of these youth are on financial aid, and therefore their fear is that, if, boy, if I lose my GPA, I'm going to lose my federal funding, and they'll switch majors, which is we see it's nationwide as kind of yep. a, a hampering of uh, youth kind of dropping out of the program. But we also believe in firmly in a body of research called identity theory, or at least I do, mm-hmm. and that it has to say that our identities 
form fairly early and that people will stick with them for as long as we can. And one of those identities we want a youth to think about is I am a conservationist. Mm -hmm. This is the work I do. I work with scientists. We call them colleagues. We don't call them youth. We pair them with scientists early on in conservation works and conservation professionals. So as Lucy's talking about not only her work at Elizabeth, we would take the youth to Yellowstone and work alongside conservationists there. And you immerse youth in this whole identity that has to do with being, I am a conservationist. And the more youth can get that early on, the more they'll even survive the difficult math and science as long Mm -hmm. as you're helping to reinforce that. So we think pretty deeply about all these things that have to happen and all the different points of entry and all the interest levels and all the multiple years of engagement. You know, we, we fund our youth as much as we can through all of their training because we don't want them to think of, of um, conservation as something you just volunteer for. And there are a lot of groups out there just right, the youth right. as volunteers. And you go, the message is that that's something that people do who have the money can afford to do that on the side. It's not a job. We have to, this is a job. It's a mm-hmm. career. It starts early and we can support them for many years. I love the fact that there's a deliberate process and quite frankly, even, even an ethos sort of wrapped around the entire program to, to have these the the youth, um, these potential conservationists to to come back time and time again, which would explain to me when I when I got all the the documentation and I'm looking through all the amazing things that Lu- Lucy has done, and I'm like, oh my gosh, man, I want to be Lucy because wow, some really cool things. That explains it, you know, how you pack in so much stuff, so many different experiences in such a short period of time, quite frankly. It may seem like a long time to you, but the reality is, you know, the the list of things that you've gotten to experience is, uh, it's phenomenal. Um, And so I want to talk a little bit, Lucy, about some of those experiences, because when I look through the list of the different places that you've traveled to go and work, so it wasn't just Yellowstone, it wasn't even just in your local community, but Grand Teton and parks, uh, you know, all kinds of parks and all kinds of places. So share with our listeners a little bit of not just so much your favorite places, but some of the experiences that you've had along the way through this program that you feel like made a, a huge difference or an impact on your life. I mean, obviously, you've chosen to stick with this because you're now a professional in this space. <laughs> so so we get that part of it. But, but share with us a little bit of, about some of the program experiences that you think were, were, were life-changing or altering or important to you? Sure. Um, that's a little bit difficult just because of so much um, we've been through in the last couple of years, not only thanks to Groundwork Elizabeth and you know Groundwork USA, but thanks to Kurt as a mentor. I think one of the biggest experiences was going on a three-month internship that might have been oh, 2016, where Kurt sent me an application for uh, the Appalachian Trail Conservancy. And I think that might have been uh, the beginning of a realization that I'd like to stick with groundwork as long as I could. And during those three months, we spent in, in Tennessee, in, in North Carolina, in Virginia, uh, working in most of the uh, Great Smoky Mountains National Park, doing research. Apart from trail maintenance, uh, I think research was, uh, that's when I realized how much I like it. Uh, We did uh, snail research, uh, other amphibian research, uh, phenology research. Um, I think we did a little bit of air quality. 
And with all those different experiences that I had, it's something that I knew I wanted to bring back to my community. It's not that we focus on one certain uh, task or uh, or technique or, or practice, but they honestly serve to different uh, interests that we had because of a lot of the certifications that I, I gained during that time, crosscut and saw, trail maintenance, um, CPR, and first uh, wilderness first aid that created a nicer resume for when I returned mm-hmm. uh, for many jobs. And um, out of the opportunities that I received, I actually accepted working for uh, Groundwork Elizabeth as a youth leader. Because of this, I um, was able to create a bigger impact in my community, uh, not only to my community, but to my youth. I was able to mold our program into uh, something similar to what I experienced with the Appalachian Trail Conservancy. I was able to teach my youth about trail maintenance, if that's what they'd like to do when they uh, invasive species removal uh, and, and, and maintenance. Uh, we were able to do more research projects. Uh, things that I learned uh, at the Great Smoky Mountains is uh, programs that I brought back to my uh, my youth back home. Even increasing our demographics in, in STEM careers. In the beginning, we... Uh, not only in Elizabeth, but in all New Jersey, there was a decrease um, or there's always been a decrease in in women in STEM careers. Yeah. So I made it my personal um, mission uh, throughout the years to increase uh, women in STEM careers and, and tend to their, their, their interests and their needs as groundwork. So I felt like we were filling that, that achievement gap in, in Elizabeth, at least, um, and in creating more of these opportunities for, for women and, and not only your women, but people of color um, for our youth. Um, we were able to give them uh, opportunities with the Fish and Wildlife Service, mm-hmm. uh, bringing them to uh, the Great Swamp Wildlife Refuge and possible uh, careers there. But we also took them to Patterson Great Falls and, and taught them opportunities there of uh, possible careers with Kurt in historic preservation, uh, the Latina, um, Latinx project, uh, taking women from uh, Elizabeth, New Jersey to uh, Grand Tetons National Park, which was our first time there, teaching them about historic preservation and, and making history. Correct me if I'm wrong, Kurt, but uh, we were the first um, all women and all uh, Latinas to, to conduct um, historic preservation work there. So that in itself was uh, was unique to me, and and it was kind of historic in, in even our town because it's something that that you don't hear of, especially in our culture, uh, women and especially Latinas <laughs> all doing construction was was pretty unique. Uh, we typically don't see that in our culture. Uh, it's something that we aren't taught growing up. Um, I fought for years for uh, for my family to teach me about construction and. <laughs> What I mostly got was ask me the tools. So um, it was pretty significant for us to learn those skills, being there with Kurt and, and Joe, um, and then bringing it back home to Patterson Great Falls. It's skills that uh, that many of us wish we've had growing up. And it's not too late. We're learning them now. Mm-hmm. And, and that's thanks to uh, to our mentors. 
So, but, but now you have gone from mentee to mentor yourself. And so that's that beautiful uh, cyclical, you know, <laughs> process that's happened here. So Kurt, I want to talk just a little bit about some of the, some of the things that Lucy made reference to and some of the different places that the program runs. Um, so one, one of the, one of the ones that we haven't really touched on, which I'm really intrigued by is a restoration project on civil rights areas sites in Tuskegee, Alabama, right? And so talk with us a little bit, Kurt, about how you how you pull that program together and what, what does it look like in terms of not just the work that you're going to do there, but what you hope that the, um, the youth who participate gain from that experience and, and why there and why now? Uh, I mean, the majority of the youth, uh, the work that the youth did is within their, within their neighborhoods. You know, you're you're trying to bring not only the youth along, but their families, their friends, mm-hmm. their networks. Uh, if you're teleporting youth to some other environment and then bringing them home without any support or follow-up or engagement in any way, how powerful can that experience be? And you know, we have a lot of people just like Lucy saying, that's not something her family normally would have mm-hmm. said was work that they thought was appropriate for her in some ways. And Lucy and I have talked about this many, many times. So it is essential, of course, you do start with uh, those work experiences within the neighborhood as much as you can, especially big, powerful, oh my God, I can't believe we did that types of types mm-hmm. of projects as Lucy's talking about. But if you only work in the urban environment, you kind of lose that connection to something bigger, right? That we're a part of a conservation movement in the United States of people of many different backgrounds and traditions and people who look radically different from us and people who look very much like us, that we're all engaged in this one thing. And so we do a balance between local and distance learning as much as we can. It also allows the youth perhaps to to see what they don't see, like what you mentioned earlier, that if you're raised in an environment, I used to run a program where uh, youth would use a little tracking device and they'd walk around their neighborhood. We were training them to look at their neighborhood and to identify the types of things that need to get fixed or, you know, made better so that the city could respond to it with our help, you know, that this kind of mapping, urban mapping. And I remember during the training for the program and the youth looking at the maps that we had created, which were big pictures of the city of Yonkers, New York, mm-hmm. and saying, okay, now here and look at this big picture. What do you see? Would you want to have fixed or improved? And the youth struggled. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, this looks pretty good. I, yeah, my uncle lives on this street. I, when I never forget one kid saying that. They don't, you don't, none of us sees what we don't see, right? Right. We're, we're right. kind of immersed in that. Mm-hmm. So connecting youth to something bigger, but also giving them that opportunity to see perhaps things that they they didn't realize that they should be within their purview to have. I'll never forget we were Yellowstone National Park and you're climbing some really big mountain as part of one of our recreation activities after a day of work, believe it or not. And uh, at the last minute, I always do this funny thing where I run to the top of the mountain and see if the youth can, of course, they'll run past me like gazelles. <laughs> and uh, I'm standing there at the top of the mountain, and we're all you know out of there at 8,000 something mm-hmm. feet. And this youth comes up, he's huffing and puffing. He goes, Oh my God, this is so beautiful. Everybody should see this. Everybody should have a right to see this wherever they are. And you know, that kind of insight that that's indeed, you know, that look at this beautiful setting and this trails and these mountains and things like that, that even in the urban environment, everybody should have a right to something like that. And so 
part of what we try to do is is partner with you know, the National Park Service is a big partner for U.S. You know, Fish and Wildlife, many of the other agencies over the years, like Forest Service, USDA, whatever it is, uh, to connect them and take them to projects outside or with partners so that they could see themselves as part of this ecosystem of, of um, you know, partners and activities and conservations and professionals and feel like they're connected to this bigger thing, part of that identity we talked about early on that they're moving into something that's expansive and bigger than just their neighborhood and, and has a, a kind of a lot of the depth and fun to. You know, Lucy is a prime example. I just think she's brilliant in so many respects, but Lucy um, worked with us a project with the National Park Service called Mountains to Main Street uh, with uh, Megan Coli, uh, who's um, one of the rangers we worked with out at Grand Teton. And part of that was to not just sell the outdoors to people, but to think about what are the needs and passions of our local community and then use those, uh, the park's assets to meet those needs, right? Mm -hmm. So job training experiences, uh, resume building experiences, STEM enrichment, all of those things are what the youth are also asking for. And public lands has the assets to do those things. We don't need to sell them on beautiful vistas or looking at gorgeous trees or, you know, things like that. The first thing is just to say, where are you? What do you need? Uh, and how can we connect you to that? And sometimes they don't haven't even found voice to that. So sure, sure. Or just to get them out there to do that. Yeah, and that, that makes total sense. And, and so, Lucy, let's talk a little bit about that engagement piece, right? Because now you're in a completely different role. You you are, as we as we indicated, you are now the mentor. You're you're helping to to lead this effort. Um, you know, so how do you convince urban youth to be part of something like this? Because the reality is, it's a big stretch outside of you know of traditional comfort zone of many of the students who are participating in your program. And to your point, you know, I, I had never even contemplated, you know, such a thing or, you know, my family or my culture wouldn't necessarily have identified as that's an appropriate or viable thing for me um, to do, you know, not to not not hampering you, but it just it doesn't even occur right as an opportunity. So how do you go out in the streets of of, of any urban center and convince, quite frankly, I mean, how do you convince the students to give this thing a try? Because it's, I would imagine it's pretty difficult for you to find a tangible way to help them understand what they're really getting in for. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's always been the difficult part uh, from the start. And lately we've had an increase in applications. Um, I think not only because of their their interest in our events. I think that might've been the big hook. Um, mm -hmm. I have uh, dozens of community events, uh, river cleanups, and that's probably when we find our, our uh, the majority of our green team. They have that interest in them already. Uh, they have the interest to do good. Um, they have that interest to, to help the environment. Uh, uh, I think it might be with the newer generations. I've been getting more applicants and more mm -hmm. interest. But honestly, talking to the community, some of our best youth we found by accident. Yeah, uh, I was found by accident. Just being by our, uh, attending our events, um, speaking to them about their interests, if they've ever thought of going to a national park, 
the majority of the time they've been to a national park and never realized it was a national park mm. uh, just because it was a place that their family might have taken them to uh, locally. But they never really understood what the logo meant until we introduced it to them. Uh, so I think community events has been the biggest one. And then uh, seeing that someone that they know has um, attended and participated in our in our green team summer. Uh, sometimes we get friends um, of our green team who uh, have seen something that they liked from their friends, you know, social media. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that they realized, oh, maybe that's something that I'd like to give a try. Yeah. It's so, always easier with a buddy, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I know someone who did that and it wasn't awful. So I think I might go try that, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and it's not only convincing our urban youth, it's also convincing their parents, parents. that it's safe. Uh, that has always been a, a big thing, uh, even from when I was a green team. So I completely understand them hesitating to go to Yellowstone National Park across the country. Uh, it's something that that you have to, you know, not only you, but your parents have to feel safe of uh, bringing you to these national parks. A lot of the stereotypes in our community is, oh, there's there's the woods there. Oh, don't go in there. It's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a trail there. Don't go in there. It's dangerous. Uh, so even during the years, convincing the community that, no, this trail isn't dangerous. And then I think a lot of the cleaning up we do and the interpretive signage help a lot to make it more inviting for the community. We have the Elizabeth River Trail here, uh, which for years since I was in high school uh, was perceived as to be the dangerous trail. Don't walk through there. It's, it's dangerous along the river. Mm. To be honest, I've never seen anything dangerous about it <laughs> in the last 20 years. But that's just the mentality that we have here, sadly. Um, and I think over the years with our work and, and the, not only us, but the message that our green team spread to the community themselves on their own time, not even with us, has helped um, a significant amount um, in having events just inviting not only the youth, but the community as a whole to these public lands. And eventually (laughs) we went from having maybe two to three applications to uh, now having over 40 to 50 applications um, over the last seven to eight years. So that's great. Something's working out of all. Yeah, <laughs> all something's the, working. Absolutely. Something's working. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Kurt, as as we, you know, work on uh, wrapping up here, I always like to end the program recognizing that, you know, there are uh, amazing partners and organizations, um, you know, spread around the world that are maybe doing some similar things, but not exactly. And there are are amazing teachers um, out there as well who recognize that finding ways to get more and more of our students outside earlier rather than later and ongoing in a repeated sort of fashion, but sometimes it's really difficult. And so, you know, one of the things that always happens with this program is, you know, I hear from from folks, teachers in particular, who say, hey, you know, I heard Kurt talking about this thing, but, you know, um, I, I, I don't have um, Groundworks in my community, but I'd like to maybe think about doing some similar pieces, but I don't even know how to start. 
doing or creating a program, even for my own students in my own classroom, in my own school to go out into the community. So what what would you recommend to folks who are listening to this saying, wow, look at what, what this program did for Lucy and how can I make sure that all the Lucys in my classroom end up with, you know, the same opportunities and the same passion for what they're doing? How do you, how do you help kids get there, Kurt? Years ago, I was on a uh, another radio program in Austin, Texas, about development of youth. And somebody called in, one of the listeners called in and says, is television uh, bad for youth? Uh, this is back in the 80s. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this is, you can tell. And I was working with one of my colleagues, and she says, if the television is the only place where you get all your information about the world, then it's bad. Because it's their voice and their message that overwhelm. But if television is only one of the places that youth get their message and they're putting their school teachers, their parents, the community leaders, the you know, maybe they belong to some religion, some religious leaders. Um, if all of those have a different message, a message uh, then those youth can really make a decision based on lots of information. I, I think you have to, when you're designing your program for youth, think about that. What are all the messages my youth are getting and where they're getting them from. So we did make a, I did make a concerted effort to reach out to uh, the schools and get the, the, the teachers involved. We do in-service trainings. Lucy's brought out school teacher groups to train the teachers in these programs. We do bring in their other partners. We can find anything can be used to have a conversation about the environment or public health or those kinds of stuff. And you can reach out to them and just start to paint this broader picture. But the message that the youth get consistently again and again is this work matters. And we can have many different versions of it. Not every youth was going to want to do what Lucy did and live in a tent for six weeks, you know, uh, <laughs> hiking up to down the Appalachian Trail and, and um, doing some very, very hard work. That's not for every youth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what it did is, is these consistent messages, perhaps maybe that Lucy heard over years, not only from her family, but from Groundwork and from all these other groups that she's worked in, you know, led her to complete her degree in environmental science, correct, Lucy? Uh, graduate from that and get hired by another organization, you know, Groundwork organization. But she was, trust me, a lot of people would snap her up in a minute uh, <laughs> to do the kind of work she's doing. And so you do purposely need to plan that. And there are a lot of good partners out there. Uh, you do want to look for groups that are anchored in the community. Mm-hmm. You don't want people just teleporting into any community there for a little while and then leaving the youth alone. Because what happens over time is the youth get the idea that, oh boy, here's here they are, song and dance. There's no follow-up. There's no... Youth want to feel supported through that whole journey. Like they're they're trying on this identity of conservation scientists. And they're, they want to be supported through that and feel connected to her friends that she talked about, a sense of community that they belong to. And those things, as identity theory shows, carries them through the difficult work that they need to do this. I mean, Lucy trudging up and down the mountain, carrying a pigmatic and doing all this work, probably her motivation is that somehow this was part of something bigger that she wanted to be a part of. I'll let her talk for herself. But I, I think that that's the message we, we connect as many times as possible. And you want the entire community reiterating that statement. And you don't want, you want to stop the negative voices. And probably there's, you know, youth, the youth know, say, oh boy, there goes Ranger Rick again, you know, <laughs> about trying to get me to do this. And 
we, we did a, uh, we were up at Rocky Mountain National Park. We had um, a series of skits we asked the youth to put on about their work. And that was one of them that the youth put on that, that he went home very excited and started to talk to his mom. And she really wasn't interested. She had things to do. Talked to dad. He wasn't really interested in things to do. When talked to friends, they were all, you know, laughing at him. Well, you become Ranger Rick, he said. And then he met a fellow green teamer, someone from the groundwork program. And then they hit it off and they started talking very excitedly. And I think in that one moment, those youth, you know, encapsulated what we have to do is to create continuing increases voices out there saying, this is the work you should do. And there are jobs in here. There's a career in this. There's need to connect it to us and there's a paycheck in this. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we need to do. Yeah, I love that. It's all about helping students find their way, right? And to find something they can be passionate about. You know, I can change the world. I can be part of my community. You know, I, I can have a job. I can have a career, all those things. But also to be passionate stewards along the way. Whether they, like Lucy, they go to school, they get their, their degree in environmental science and they continue to do this work or they get those degrees and and they continue to support that work, right? Um, by doing something else, you know, around the fringes, but they're still part of the community that understands the importance of the need. So that's, that's half the battle. I want to thank you both very much for taking time today to um, share the story of Groundwork um, USA, um, as well as all the, the, the local groups doing that work. Um, thank you very, very much for sharing with us. And thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education. <laughs>